Hey, it's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Tax Code 280E, what is it and why do we need to be concerned? New Jersey could be facing a serious supply issue soon. And if Trump's reelected, he wants the death penalty for drug dealers, quick trials and quick executions. You need to hear this, so get ready. The marijuana industry is constantly changing with new laws, rules and regulations. And whether you're working in the field or investing in it, you need to know what's happening. We keep you up to date by bringing you the latest information on the marijuana industry. So get ready, because this is the M News Now. Earlier this week, former President Donald Trump spoke at a meeting for the America First Policy Institute during their two-day summit. Among other suggestions, Trump spoke about how he believes drug dealers and traffickers should and must receive the death penalty. He also said that they should be quick, two-hour trials. He laid out his argument for this by specifically praising China and Singapore for their handling of drug dealers with quick trials and death penalties. Just one day before Trump had said these words, Singapore executed a man convicted of trafficking cannabis. He was executed by long drop hanging, and this was the sixth man in the last four months who was executed for drug crimes. In Singapore, Possession of anything more than 1.1 pounds of cannabis is considered trafficking and receives a mandatory death penalty sentence. And just one day after this latest execution for cannabis, former President Trump included in his speech statements such as, If you look at countries throughout the world, the ones that don't have a drug problem are those that institute a very quick trial death penalty sentence for drug dealers. It doesn't take 15 years in court. It goes quickly. And you absolutely... You execute a drug dealer. It's time to get brutally tough. And yes, these drug traffickers should and must receive the death penalty. But you look at Singapore, you look at other countries where they have the death penalty, and they have no drug problems whatsoever. You know what a quick trial is, right? Two hours. That's what. Not two years. Not 20 years. These are not new ideas for Trump. He's espoused the same ideas years back as well even saying that he couldn't understand how the United States could not be ready to support the death penalty for drug dealers. In his speech this week, Trump had said that China was sending drugs into the United States, and he specifically said three times that he had it stopped. However, the facts show that opioid deaths actually increased more than a third during his presidential term, from approximately 46,000 in 2017 when he took office to close to 70,000 when he left office in 2021. It's highly disturbing that Trump would praise Singapore for having executed a man for possessing 1.1 pounds of cannabis. And even more disturbing that he thinks those same types of death penalties should be executed in this country as well. Cannabis businesses face many challenges, to say the least. While states have legalized medicinal and recreational use, the federal government keeps cannabis illegal, listed as a Schedule I drug under the Controlled Substances Act. The government's DEA website says, Schedule I drugs, substances, or chemicals are defined as drugs with no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. While we know there is plenty of evidence that cannabis does have medicinal value, the government has not yet been able to come to an agreement on deschedulizing cannabis. Because cannabis is stuck as a Schedule I drug, cannabis businesses are unable to access traditional banking options. Banks are federally insured, and since the government classifies cannabis as an illegal activity, 
they will not insure or back up any banks that work with cannabis companies. Because of this, very few banks across the country will agree to work with cannabis companies. This leaves 99% of all cannabis businesses dealing in all cash, all the time. Besides this side effect of Schedule One classification, cannabis businesses are also subject to the IRS tax code 280E, which states that no deduction or credit shall be allowed in running a business that consists of trafficking a controlled substance. This means that, in short, cannabis businesses cannot take normal tax deductions, such as rent, utilities, payroll, insurance, and so much more. Cannabis businesses are then taxed off of their gross sales, rather than after expenses. This can often put a company right out of business. But it does bring up the question of why would the government even be taxing a business that they call illegal in the first place? Well, it's an easy answer. They want money, no matter the source. It's been well established through constitutional amendments and court rulings that the government has the power to collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived. The United States v. Sullivan is a Supreme Court case from 1927 that established allowing the prosecution of criminals for evading income tax on their criminal activity. Many criminals have since been prosecuted for tax evasion under this ruling, including the notorious gangster Al Capone. But while the government has been taking income tax money from criminals for years, it was never challenged until 1981 in the landmark case of Edmondson v. Commissioner. In that case, tax courts allowed a trafficker of amphetamines, cocaine, and cannabis to deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses related to his illicit drug business. Those expenses included things like rent, packaging, telephone usage, automobile expenses, and the purchase of a small scale. The next year, in 1982, Congress enacted Tax Code Section 280E. That tax code's official explanation of provision from the Senate report reads as follows. All deductions and credits for amounts paid or incurred in the illegal trafficking in drugs listed in the Controlled Substances Act are disallowed. However, at the time of passing 280E, Congress had some concern over challenges to the new law. So to help combat this, they added one small exclusion to the rule, which was to allow for the deduction of cost of goods sold. But, other than the cost of goods, literally just about everything else is not deductible for cannabis businesses. Some, but not all of these items that are disallowed, include rent, salaries, contractors, equipment, repairs, furniture, office supplies, hardware, software, legal fees, maintenance, storage, interest, utilities, advertising, marketing, bad debt, theft, loss, insurance, licensing fees, and even charitable deductions are not allowed. So if we know basically nothing can be deducted except the cost of goods, how are cost of goods defined? What does the government consider cost of goods in regards to tax code 280E? Well, for a dispensary or a retail store, unfortunately, their cost of goods deductions are fairly limited. They can deduct the cost of product and the cost of acquiring the merchandise, including the transportation cost to purchase the wholesale cannabis. They could also claim deductions for electric bills for designated inventory areas, and that's about it. Cultivators, producers, extractors, and infusers have a few more cost of goods options that they can deduct. Some potential types of cost of goods that are allowed for them include raw materials and supplies such as seeds, clones, fertilizer, nutrients, 
indirect product costs such as utilities to grow the cannabis, supervisory wages, and the cost of quality control and inspection. And lastly, labor for pre-wholesale, such as trimming and packaging. There's nothing provided by the government that lists the specific items that are or not allowed. So working with a reputable CPA and using extreme caution when taking any potential deductions is strongly advised. One tax insider advised, it's not a matter of if a cannabis company will be audited, but when. So make sure to cross your T's and dot your I's very carefully. So from the outside, it may seem that the cannabis industry is a guaranteed goldmine of profits, but the reality isn't so. In addition to many other industry issues, Tax Code 280E can cost many businesses more in taxes than they make in profit, and thereby making the business unsustainable. Even those cannabis businesses who can pay their taxes are often still not able to make a profit and put all their money into government taxes, rather than back into the business for things such as expansions, improvements, employee benefits and pay raises, and even giving back to the community. The general public needs to be aware of the exorbitant tax burden that's being placed on the cannabis industry. The situation, if left as is, will lead to higher prices of cannabis for the consumer, and it will lead to more black market sales. It'll also lead to many businesses failing. To make things right, cannabis needs to be more than just decriminalized. It needs to be removed from the Controlled Substances Act as a Schedule I drug so that it no longer falls under Tax Code 280E at all. Every cannabis consumer's help is needed to contact our local government representatives and let them know that cannabis does have medicinal value, as studies and testimonials have shown. So it does not meet the definition of a Schedule I drug, and therefore it must be removed now from the list of Controlled Substances Act. Only by speaking up will the will of the people be heard. And we're the people, so let's all speak up. Take a few minutes to contact your local representatives and let them know where you stand. Easy links to contacting representatives can be found at normal.org slash act. That's N-O-R-M-L dot org backslash act. New Jersey's cannabis legalization program has done very well, almost too well. Supply is now a legitimate concern. Steve Shane, a New Jersey-based cannabis attorney with Smart Council, said, at this point, New Jersey's been rapidly depleted, and I don't see a whole lot of other grows. Robert DePisa, who's a co-chair of the cannabis practice at a New Jersey law firm, Cole Schott, said, We're going to be in a bottleneck anywhere from the next maybe 6 to 12 months, maybe even longer. New Jersey's Cannabis Association president, Edmund DeVoe, told MJ Biz Daily that they're working on options to make sure that there are cultivators that are up and running sooner rather than later. He added that they could potentially take steps to issue more conditional licenses, as well as more conventional annual licenses, too, to address any potential gaps in the product supply that could come up. But Steve Shane said, The provisional licenses lack financing and industry know-how to put products on shelves. If New York's able to get their recreational adult-use market open and operating later this year, that could alleviate some of New Jersey's supply chain concerns for now. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates and follow us on themnewsnow.com. Later. <laughs>